Welcome to this iResearch podcast on maximizing innovation in fintech spaces. My name is Andrew Newby, Director of Operations of iResearch, and I'm very glad to be able to talk today to Dr. Samia Mazur. Dr. Samia is co-founder and Chief Innovation Officer of House of InsureTech Switzerland, HITS for short, uh, initials you'll hear throughout this podcast. Um, it's formerly known as Innovation Garage, which was and is part of Generali, the insurance group. House of InsureTech provides customer-centric and disruptive solutions to corporates operating in the insurance industry. Samia has 18 years of experience in insurance and consulting, including a stint as senior strategy consultant for management consultant Roland Berger. Dr. Samir, welcome. Thank you, Andrew. I'm mean, happy to be here and um, to have the podcast with you. Very much likewise, Sam. I hope you're very well today. So in a quote I found, it's actually in a Google Cloud article, but it seems to be sort of quite a HITS sort of approved one. I found the following quote, the insurance industry is ancient, but in many ways, its ecosystem of tech-focused startups is still in its infancy. Assuming you agree with that quote, sort of it was approved by your company, how do you foster a spirit of innovation and creativity in what it's archetypally sort of traditional industry? Well, again, first of all, thank you for the invitation. And the second, it's uh, HITS, so House of Internet Switzerland, so we call it HITS, like uh, get HITS done. I was trying to be polite, but HITS is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, third, so yes, indeed, insurance is is ancient. It's um, four thousand years old. The first evidence of it comes back or dates back to Babylonian times, as it was engraved in the Code of Hammurabi, which was a Babylonian king. The concept of insurance that was uh, uh, was already developed there, and since then it has evolved. It has developed. It has been modernized by the Brits a few uh, hundred years ago, and uh, it has been re-modernized again. And this is what we hope, that the insurtechs of this world are giving it another boost to, um, to make it more efficient in this age of, of ones and zeros uh, in the 21st century. So yes, definitely the industry needs some, some kind of a shakeup. You have the incumbents on, on the one hand side, and then you have the uh, the small insurtechs uh, on the other side, and in between, okay, you have the big techs, which are very fluent in terms of uh, digitization, in terms of AI, and that they are slowly getting a piece of the trillion heavy insurance industry. So this kind of uh, these three big parties meeting up and uh, trying to bring the insurance to the next level. I mean, it's exciting times for, for the industry. I've watched one of your uh, podcasts and you make a distinction between born globals and, and traditional companies. I guess the born globals might be entities like Lemonade or Ping An in the US and China, respectively. Can you just want to elaborate on sort of what you mean by the born globals, because I guess you, part of your role is to, I guess, produce them in, in what you're doing at the moment, or at least, uh, or, or rather, as we'll develop during this podcast, to partner with them. 
So the concept of Born Global is uh, fairly simple. It's uh, basically startup companies that uh, have at inception a far reach, geographic reach. Like, and you could say that, uh, for example, Swiss high tech startups they need to expand to survive. They cannot just okay stay in Switzerland for a majority of them. I'm not talking about one hundred percent of them. But they need okay to conquer markets outside of Switzerland, okay, to uh, uh, to survive and to grow. And you find a lot of those born globals again okay, happen to be using intangible uh, or offering intangible solutions because the fact that it's a digital solution, you can export it fairly rapidly. Do we produce them? I mean, actually, no. We work with them. We co-create solutions with them. So here in the innovation garage where we're sitting here in, in uh, uh, nearby Zurich, we work a lot of those kind of startups that need to expand rapidly in the insurtech space. So by partnering with or producing partnerships between corporates and startups, the corporates presumably get access to, to flexibility, new talent, they get speed, and the startups basically get the customer base they they find near impossible to find normally. And I, again, this is something you can develop during the, the podcast, but this, this sort of open innovation approach that hits seems very much to be a champion of. Would that be an accurate reflect of your paradigm as a, an organization? So what we are trying to be hits is to be some kind of a conveyor belt between the slow pace of an incumbent versus the high pace of a startup and to synchronize the speed of these two so that these two, so the, the incumbent and the startup, okay, manage to, to co-create something together because the insurtech provides the technology. They provide, okay, something that is, that is disruptive, but what they're lacking is access to customers. And this is where the incumbent comes into place because the incumbent has access to millions of customers, but does not have okay the, the resources to develop a disruptive technology. So this is a, a match made in heaven when you combine both because the combination of both is explosive. But again, it's two speeds. And this is where HITS comes in between and try okay, to, to synchronize those two so that um, they can both use the enabler, the technology, and the value proposition of the insurtech and test it with our customers so that, okay, at the end, we, HITS, being very customer-centricity obsessed, we check, okay, with, with the customer whether she or he wants that solution at the end. We did a blog a while about innovation and, and customer needs where we, we stated that many companies jump onto the digital train not so much because they need to be on the digital train, but because they just don't want to be left out. So what, in your opinion, most motivates innovation in, in, in established companies? And how much should you be aware of your competitors in that process rather than just doing your own thing? What's the balance there, sort of how to keep innovation continuous? So first, okay, there is... I mean, the word innovation is very dear to me and it has been misused and abused <laughs> because when people talk about innovation, they're talking about, they're referring to invention and not innovation. Let me uh, maybe el briefly elaborate on that. So in my book, innovation is, uh, let's say, 
the successful commercialization of an invention. And by commercialization, okay, you can translate massive adoption or uh, large revenue sales or a lot of users using that solution. So only if that happened, then you can call it innovation. But if you just launch a product and you call it an innovation, it doesn't make any sense. It's an invention in search of success. So that's uh, maybe a first where we need to align on the definition of uh, innovation. So innovation is hard to reach. Now, in terms of competition, I would rather we focus more on the customers than on the competition. And sometimes, especially in those times, we like to talk about co-opetition. So instead of competitors, okay, to reinvent the wheel in their corner, so why don't we use, why don't we cooperate together to not reinvent the wheel, but at least, at least invent something that, that has, brings benefits to both of us, because that way we can double or triple or quadruple, okay, the, the budget for, or the investment for, for that solution. And it would be, okay, shareholders at the same time. For some things, okay, it is possible that competitors work on something. And for other aspects, okay, it is not possible. So let me, let me summarize this in one sentence. So imagine, okay, this sentence, dear competitors, let's cooperate to survive, but let's differentiate to thrive. Cooperate to survive means let's do things that reduces costs. I'll give you an example. Each incumbent wants to go to the cloud, right? So uh, instead of each one of us, you know, doing an RFP for cloud providers, why don't we, okay, just pull together and then select one cloud provider. And we would be actually reducing our cost of doing that. But we have one single cloud provider, a big one. But so we cooperate on, on that cost reduction kind of efficiency gain. But then now that we are all on the cloud and we have, we can start to differentiate one from another. And this is where we compete one another to produce differentiating value propositions. Because now we're cloud ready. We ensure we're cloud ready. We did not spend okay, hundreds of millions to be cloud ready. No, because we pulled together with the competition and we spend maybe single digit or two digits to be cloud ready. But now we are on the cloud and now we can start innovating. We can start to develop solutions to differentiate ourselves. I hope that that was clear. <laughs> that, that's very clear, very clear. Moving on, a month or so ago, we held a roundtable discussion at our research titled Forging the Future with Thought Leadership. And we discussed the need for clients to be reassured concerning innovation and how much they often wanted to innovate safely by identifying quantifiable risks. Now, that seems uh, a very natural space for an insurance company because that's what a traditional insurance company does, quantifies risks. But how does that work when you're when you are working with startups and untried solutions, there must be an element of leap of faith in what you do. Though I'm sure your innovation processes are, are extremely rigorous. Will you just take us through how you give yourself the, the assurance that what you're doing is a is a measurable risk, is a is a reasonable risk, in terms of working with startups, it's a judging startups to be concrete. So. 
When we founded HITS three years ago, so basically we, we spun off the innovation function of Generalized Switzerland to not only, let's say, have the freedom of, of experimenting, but also to respond to a need of other countries, of generalized countries or generally business units, BUs, to collaborate with them. So for that, okay, I'm very, very thankful and grateful for not only for the top management of Generalized Switzerland, but also for gro- the, the group innovation team in Milan to, uh, to support us in having that freedom and in, in experimenting in, uh, in, in two horizons. So horizon two and horizon three. So horizon two are, let's say, okay, the new business models that are a bit away from the core business using disruptive technologies. And horizon three are the moonshots. So the, the very risky things. And the fact, okay, that, uh, as you say, we're in the business of measuring risks, to give us, okay, this kind of risk proneness <laughs> and giving us, okay, that freedom to experiment is extremely invaluable. And we do that day by day, but at the end, there are, let's say, two key focal points. One is it needs to adhere to the generalized strategy and its ambition of becoming a lifetime partner for its uh, customers. That's one. And two is, and this is our mantra, is to be um, customer-centricity obsessed because this is how you create innovations. This is when, when the customer wants that solution. And that links back to your, to hit three pillars of opening, connecting, and doing the, the customer-centric framework. Exactly. For letting startups flourish and scale up through innovation. So Sam, how does that work with uh, customers then in terms of, presumably you have the same process of ideation, POC, minimal viable products, iterations with the clients, and then a, a final viable product. So, uh, how long, take me through that. How do you do that, the sort of traditional, what, traditional in quotes, and how long would POC stage take? Weeks, months? couple of months and sort of getting a product out there three months six months 12 how does that work so poc yeah it's variable it depends from uh, innovation product to innovation project some can be shorter so it could be a month a month and a half but it could also last okay six months depending on what we're doing but yes the sweet spot is around three months for the poc for an mvp okay now we're talking about a bit longer yeah, I would say, okay, around four to six months for, for the MVP. Again, depending on what you are doing. Now, how do we approach, okay, how do we make sure that it is customer-centric? It's, well, very simple in the sense that we need, before we start, I'm an engineer from background, and um, engineers are stereotyped to uh, just develop solutions, okay, without asking the customers. That's a heavy stereotype. Uh, just because, okay, I like the solution. I just want to develop it. And then, oh, I'll talk to the customer later. Oh, the customer doesn't want it. Oh, shoot. So I I spent a lot of time, okay, let's say not having that urge of developing something that I find cool, but uh, I learned really to listen to the customer, to understand the needs. And uh, sometimes understanding the root cause of the needs is even more important. So... Um, I tend to uh, disagree with the, with the Henry Ford quote. Uh, if I ask the customer, he or she will ask, uh, will ask me to have faster horses. For me, this is a, it's a misleading quote because as an innovator, 
what you need to interpret from that quote is someone wants to, to go faster from A to B. Do not put the solution, faster horses, in the equation. You have to, to understand the root cause of, um, of what the customer is telling you. So, uh, and this is my job, okay, to, uh, to go deeper than what your customer is, is telling you. So once you understand those needs and the root cause of it, then, okay, you can start to, uh, to prototype the, the solution and then iterate, like you said, with the customer up until she tells you, uh, oh, I like that. Oh, no, 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 I don't need that. Oh, that's too much. Oh, I don't understand. Wow, I love this thing. And this is where you, you try to, to find something customer-centric. And then you start the growth hacking. Growth hacking, okay, just to def define it rapidly, is when you go out there, you simulate that you have the product uh, using social media, and then you see this kind of ad banner. And okay, the message I like, I click, I go through it, I read, I like what I see. Okay, I want to buy it. I click on buy. And then comes, okay, the surprise and say, okay, look, we are working on the product, but in a few months, okay, we'll have it. So uh, put in your, okay, your email address here and we will contact you. So the combination of what I told you earlier, developing a customer-centric prototype and growth hacking later on because those persons, okay, clicked on buy. So they have the intention to buy it. This combination gives you the evidence that you're onto something, you're onto a potential path to an innovation. And this is okay how we operate. Right. So in summary, it's the customer is an issue or a pain point. You start there to something that is not optimal. You find a solution that's suitable for that customer. And if you're walking the walk and being truly customer eccentric, you will innovate. Is that too simplified? So customer-centric, but also customer-eccentric sometimes. You've got all the words, haven't you? You've got all the... I mean, this is how it goes, yes. No, no, that's, that's fascinating. So coming to the topic of thought leadership and just getting your message out there, Samir, how does it work for you? Presumably, you're, do you have an ambassadorial or championing role with Generali Group itself? Would you care to elaborate on sort of how, if at all, thought leadership works for you or how you work with it absolutely i mean uh i think uh thought leadership is uh, extremely important in the sense that uh it inspires you it um stimulates okay the corner in your brain that that has thirst for curiosity and to see something different yeah i need to have okay that kind of thought leadership coming from different sources and i am somehow okay i mean once i, I am okay in terms of uh, in my job of innovation, but this is okay. What we all do at HITS, we are the conduit of those kind of uh, leadership that we are reading or seeing, be it also in a, in a conference or a report. We are the conduit, okay, to transmit it to the organization, to generality, because we need to show that freshness. We need to, to, to show, okay, actually where the world is going, where the consumer is going. I mean, uh, or he or she, okay, uh, has a pain point or actually is enjoying a specific solution, but that solution, okay, we don't have in-house and, and we need, okay, to bring it home. And for that, yes, we, we use different, we need, okay, different, uh, sorry, channels within Generali, okay, to, uh, to convey those messages coming from thought leadership 
through different calls that we have internally, innovation calls or business development calls or some uh, internal webinars that we are doing and so on and so forth to inspire people and also for people to, to, um, to come to us and tell us, look, you spoke about that and I think we have a need uh, with our uh, business unit in, in here. Can we talk? So it can be the start of, of an innovation project. So, presumably, need to get buy-in from stakeholders across Generali. Do you have uh, innovation managers or or innovation savvy managers who you, who you speak to? What's their profile in terms of uh, and sort of reason for for talking to you, other than your obvious expertise in doing this? Sort of how does it work institutionally within heads? You mean? Uh, well. Uh, generally as well, presumably they're your, yes. they pay for the innovation funds, I assume, or partly pay for them. It's actually, so we have an innovation fund, a central innovation fund that actually to whom we submit our applications for an innovation project. And then, okay, we have to pitch to see whether it makes sense or not, or if the innovation board sees an opportunity, okay, for us to pursue that, that project, yes or no. So they decide at the end. And these innovation board members, they come from different countries of generality, different business units, and they have to cast a vote, okay, whether that project, okay, will be funded. That's one part of the equation. Another part is assuming we got the funding, we need to work with that country. And we need to have innovation managers on board from that country, but also the sponsor, which is the business, is not the innovation team of that country. So it's the business representative of that country that works hand in hand with us. And at the end, HITS is responsible for that product to deliver what was promised initially. This is how it works. I mean, summarized, you have the business who comes with a need. You have HITS that listens to, to that need and make it, let's say, seize an opportunity. Together with the business, okay, we apply to the innovation fund. If successful, okay, we get the funding. And then okay, we work with a startup that will act as an enabler towards the development of the solution that responds to the needs of the business. Are there any practical tips you could pass on to our listeners in terms of the way you or they, if they're sort of starting on ventures, the way they should pitch? In the way it sounds like you pitch or give business cases or let startups business cases for their ventures. Are there any sort of things you'd say you should avoid doing or should definitely do? Was it having a very, very tight brief to present, I presume, is vital. But are there any sort of political or sort of practical tip you mentioned in our discovery call, sort of breakfasts, tech breakfasts that you host? Yes. So this is in line with what you meant with the, the thought leadership part. So this is the conduit, okay, to where we identify a fascinating startup that can actually, uh, through an intratech breakfast that we usually have, okay, uh, uh, on a Friday at 9 a.m., it's open to everybody to dial in and to listen to what this startup, okay, is doing. And when we check, okay, the analytics, okay, we see that it's not only generally people that are dialing in, which is great because then they know what we are doing with that startup and what we have done with this business unit okay, in this country might be relevant for another country that did not hear about our project and said, okay, hey, why don't you do the same for us? So from a simple webinar, it could be a, a great opportunity to scale the solution that we co-created together 
to other business units. But it's not only a general audience. You have also external auditors. You have even the competitor listening to, to our Introtech breakfast. As I said, it is pretty open in the spirit of open innovation. And you have external startups, or startups, okay, that we don't even know, that's also dial in and listen to us. And then they knock at our door and said, okay, hey, I love, okay, your intro to breakfast. And I heard, okay, about what you're doing in your innovation garage that you're hosting, okay, these startups. And this is what we offer. Would you be interested in a call? So basically, we are also sourcing new startups to join our hits network. So, I mean, this kind of a thought leadership kind of a sessions bring multiple benefits on the way. So it sounds like the motto is just network. <laughs> get yourself out there and spread the word. I didn't say the word ecosystem. <laughs> say, the, say the word. You noticed. <laughs> yes. So, so yes, the key words of, of the day. So we've talked about the way sort of HITS works and it's customer-centric framework, the emphasis on digital transformation, innovation, your ecosystems, sort of talked about sort of open innovation and working with competitors and perhaps just the big tech. I notice you work with Google and Salesforce, so you're not afraid to work with the big boys in tech as well as competitors in other industries. So I'm just trying to pull that all together, just on the technological front first. What are the beyond sort of just saying AI and so on? What are the technologies you think are most important in terms of innovating broadly within fintech broadly over the next three to five years what are you looking at as either threats distant threats in the distance or by the sound of you possibilities is probably more likely of you you take on them so what's exciting you at the moment so you have uh, two questions there so you have the question on which technology and another one on uh, which are the threats well no which technologies do you think are most effective the most powerful in terms of promoting innovation within fintech at the moment more broadly? I'm having a difficult to answer the question because, again, with the customer centricity obsession, it's like, okay, you're asking me the question, okay, uh, which hammer is the most <laughs> efficient or effective? And sometimes, okay, yeah, you It depends. Even... It depends is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. It depends on what is the use case at hand. So uh, AI is a fascinating okay uh, technology but do you need ai for everything uh do you need blockchain for everything do you need cybersecurity or um, i don't know quantum <laughs> uh, quantum computing for everything so again sorry to disappoint you with the answer so it truly depends maybe they just want a simple uh, payment system that works that's <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. and sometimes okay it's just because the process is wrong it's wrongly designed that you just need a case to take a piece of paper and redraw the process and make it simpler. It can still remain a manual but very efficient okay, process that needed some kind of human touch and does not need a okay, mobile phone as a solution. So it truly depends on the, on the use case. Now, in terms of risks or threats for the next three to five years, there was a question as well, right? Yeah, I was sort of trying to frame the technology question in a meaningful way, perhaps making about threats and opportunities, but let's go there. Bit of SWAT, never harmed anyone. <laughs> so yeah, so what's the O and what's the T in the SWAT? Okay, so the, now I'm trying to have the bird eye view and really be as generic as possible. In terms of threats, definitely okay. You hear it 
I think that the recent issue of The Economist is the target of reducing 1.5 degrees. So climate change is the issue, the big issue, just to be clear. And that's reducing the cooling, the temperature by 1.5 degrees in the next decades. It's something okay, that uh, we will not be able to reach. So we're beyond that point. We tried several times okay, to reduce it, but it's not happening. I think this is the cover page of The Economist of this week. So definitely, I mean, climate change. And climate change is actually a PR word for global warming. It started with the Bush administration to make it softer. But actually, we should be talking about global warming because the temperatures are rising and they generate climate change all over the planet. So big threat, climate change. Another big threat that I see is the financial well-being of people because we are getting, I mean, longevity is higher. So living longer. Uh, still have okay their pension at 65. They have savings for 10 years, but so basically till 75, but they will be living till 85. So what do you do with being penniless for 10 years from 75 to 85? You're just uh, the age pyramid where the base is narrowing and narrowing and having the baby boomers get, getting in. So the whole social system is not sustainable. My kids that are born, I mean, 10 years ago, they'll have a life expectancy of 100 years. So with a pension at 65, so if you do the math, this doesn't compute. So financial well-being is a big threat. And I would say, okay, uh, digital disinformation is another big threat, which imperils our democracies. And these are, I would say, my top three on the top of my head for the moment. By digital disinformation, you mean just the general misinformation? I'm not trying to correct you. I'm just trying to put it in the willful or objectively willful distorting of information and its effects on the political system and bipartisanship. And yeah. I mean, willful or not willful. I mean, take the example of the recommendation algorithms of YouTube. I mean, is it willful? Yes and no. I mean, it was meant to be serving you to recommend you something okay, that you like. So you might like this as well. But if you type once something around racism and there was a racist act that happened yesterday and millions of views and you click on it and then, okay, the next ones, okay, you receive, a, I mean, all the time, some racist videos. So <laughs> which would make you, which would polarize you towards becoming a racist. So I'm an adult. I can think critically, but if my kids would watch, okay, these kind of videos, then my kids might become racist because it was all the time recommended to them in that direction. So, and kids are very impressionable and YouTube is their truth. And how can we fight that and find solutions that counter these kind of things? And critical thinking is key in here. And how do we teach or find solutions for not even kids, not only kids, but also adults, to think critically. These are some things okay, that we need to get to, to think about. Some of our listeners might be getting a bit out <laughs> at this stage. The bleakness of the scenario is pointed out and probably likely to, to roll out. Let's end on the opportunities, Samir. Exactly. That's the nice segue okay, to the opportunities. And this is why I love to work okay, in this industry, because it's about protecting and we tend to forget that insurance is about, okay, protecting people uh, against dangers, or if that danger happened, how, okay, to help them and support them to come back to their normal life. And this is, okay, what the great, okay, part of my job is to find solutions to those threats or to prevent those threats and being creative, okay, with the team here to address those threats and come with customer-centric, again, solutions that address them. And if that threat or that danger, okay, actually damage your life to help you 
get out of that danger and come back to your usual way of life. These are the opportunities that we love to address because the threats are an immense source of creativity for us to start working into sustainable solutions that eventually, hopefully, will become innovations. And your open innovation paradigm, if one may call that, is also arguably a source of optimism. The competitors will come together. Your co-opetition, was it? Co-opetition, yeah. <laughs> co-opetition, I got there in the end, didn't I? The idea of partnerships not all being a zero-sum game and you trying to wipe new entrants or competitors out of the game, that you actually work with them without compromising your commercial proposition but we can actually work together and be creative without sounding hippie about it. But the partnership and collaboration are will continue to be very, very important within fintech and across other industries. Absolutely. I mean, this is a call okay, to our competitors. If they want to come and visit us here in Zurich and look, again, look how we work, absolutely welcome to come and to our innovation garage, look into our innovation funnel, how we work on what project okay, we are currently working on with which startups. And we have been doing this since three years. Okay, pre-COVID, we used to have like, I think, a 12 corporates visiting us per month, including competitors for different reasons. So first, okay, out of curiosity, so, so they want to see, okay, how we do innovation within Generali. Two is because they are also curious to see, okay, what kind of startups are out there and maybe they can work with those startups. And for us, it's even better if one of our startups, to be clear, these are independent startups. Sometimes we are invested in them, but not all the time. And they can also work with those startups. So we very welcome okay, that fact. And three, and this is okay, the third open innovation point is, well, look, we're working on this project. might be relevant for you. How about, okay, we work on it together. Why not? And, and yes, so with that mindset, with that spirit, please come to us and have a visit. An excellent note to end on. And also... Look up Dr. Samir Mazur's amazing talk online to inspire you. Dr. Samir, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your thoughts with our audience. Thank you so much. And may the rest of your day be excellent. Thank you. And thank you for your auditors for listening. And I wish you a wonderful rest of the week.